say, kids, what time is that? That would be us. And we're coming to you live from Boulder Creek, California. That's right. Our in the home Mountains. state of bliss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And we got Bobby Wilder, our science correspondent in San Fran. Yes. All right. I'm here. Yes. Yay. Welcome to the yep. show, Bobby. And yes. we have some really interesting new sounds coming in from the universe that we think you'll enjoy hearing. And we have some guests that uh, are also in from out of town that are a pleasure to bring you. So it's going to be a fun show. And we also will be taking call-ins. So you write down that phone number, the good old Santa Cruz voice, 831-265-5050. What oh. a week, huh? <laughs> it's been pretty packed. We've had visitors from out of town and lots of wonderful things to do while we're, we're celebrating your birthday and the and the aftermath. It keeps going. <laughs> Is it still Libra now? I think maybe we're on the next sign by now. I right? think Libra was until the 20th. So yeah, we're 21st. in Scorpio now. Did the time change? <laughs> like you don't know what time it is. Well, you know, these days <laughs> all, all the clocks auto Spring set, ahead, right? Fall so back. They all set. They don't even tell you and they, anymore that you have to turn your clocks back. So it's hard to tell unless you're really paying attention. Doctor Future, I have news for you. Yeah. Time is dissolving in the age of Aquarius. We're no, going completely virtual. No wonder why it seems so. You know, forward and backward. Oh they are still kind of the antique way of relating to all that is. But if you're at all connected to that little screen that is designed by our minds to access all the information in the universe, then your time is a little bit nonlinear. Yeah, my phone is definitely messing with my time sense. <laughs> I used to think only women could turn time into a pretzel. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> it's the nature of the universe. Everything you think about takes a little bit of time away from that linear timeline. Nonetheless, nonetheless, we were into legacy media. We are veteran talk radio show hosts from the AM FM world where you're Where's on the, the air. They used right? at the petrified forest. We're the we're yeah. the geezers of the new world. <laughs> so going from on the air to digital is quite an interesting transition. Mm -hmm. You can see why it's taken so long for it to happen. Because yeah. there's so many things that can go wrong. Mm. Yes. Well, we're still analog in many of our creative energies. So that's right. Digital it, seems like an interruption, but it's really just a higher resolution. And it is a generational thing. I think anybody over mm. 40 is part of this analog to digital transition. Would right? you agree? Do you remember when you actually use pay phones? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you do. Of course you do. And uh, I do. The main I reason we saved dimes. Yeah. You had to know where the payphone was. Yeah. <laughs> you have to know time. where it was, right? Yeah. I think the most amazing payphone location that I saw was I went to visit this psychic uh, artist named Ingo Swan in his Greenwich Village loft. Mm -hmm. And he had a payphone in his loft apartment. And I said, How do you get a payphone in a loft apartment? Ingo managed it somehow. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's wow. a new way to do. So, remember Captain Crunch? Oh, Maybe yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I remember Captain Crunch. And also, Ian Brown at McGill, he was a semi-fictitious character, or a legendary character, semi-fictitious legendary character, like Captain Crunch of the hacking universe. Mm -hmm. I remember that the engineers at the radio station at McGill, one time the doors were locked, locked more than usual. And I finally found out why, because... 
inside the engineering room, lying on their engineering operations table, was one of the new payphones that had just come out. Mm. And it was mm. brought into the lab. They were studying it in detail to see how it worked mm. and how the inner tickings of the new payphones worked. Now, that is hacker class thinking, looking at looking <laughs> exactly how payphones work. Mm. And Captain Crunch was one of the masters of the payphone universe. The legendary stories of him calling himself around the world, going through a dozen countries to get back to himself is hilarious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He really writes with a great sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Especially his early adventures with Woz and Jobs Mm -hmm. at Apple, Apple Computer. Yeah. Something about the teenage boy mind or the young adult. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The world is just open to your curiosity and you don't really have those limits that you take on as you realize that someone's watching and they have laws against what you're trying to figure out and you have to join the consensus reality instead of the one that you're growing up into (laughs) where it's made up by your own imagination. What it really has trained me for, though, is all this hacker thinking, is exploring the universe. I really believe that the scientists really checking out the limits of reality itself are hacking it. Mm -hmm. They're trying to take it apart, look at it, analyze it from new points of view, figure out what it all means. Hackers. Yeah. And one of the Mm -hmm. interesting hacks out there is this whole arena of data sonification, Oh, I love data sonification. Data sonification. I remember the first time that I experienced a musical concert with Fiorella Terenzi. Mm. And I believe she was doing like a live performance on stage at one of Michael Gosney's parties. And she was just such an amazing science goddess. And a music goddess. That's what I mean. She was playing a violin or some kind of a MIDI device where she had done sonification of the frequencies of different space objects. And that was the first time that I had ever heard anyone take those frequencies of space and do something musical with them. It was really evolutionary. It just was like, wow. As part of the crossover generation, she was into sampling. Part of the excitement in the 80s and 90s was to listen to real sounds and sample them and then put them on keyboards so that you could play them. Yeah, like yeah. So it instrument. was sampling at the time, but it was sampling also was the idea of thing. getting to know how we'd study the remote universe by looking at frequencies. We are actually using the visual spectrum, the radio spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum. All of the scientists using these to gauge information are looking for wave, particle, frequency patterns, and then using those patterns to do a, what's the word when you have two senses in one? Synesthesia. Synesthesia, yes. So we see the light of the stars, and we imagine the orbits of the planets around the stars, and we measure the frequency of the things that we see, and then we can play it back as sound. So what I'd like to play for you is a sonified version of a black hole in the Perseus Cluster Galaxy. Uh, This is about 240 million light years away, and... This was done with Chandra sonifications. They have created this pretty eerie sound that depicts a black hole. It's very popular. It's something that people really relate to. But this really lets you know about what a black hole sounds like in terms of its energy pulsing from it. Light and, can't uh, escape, yeah. but we can still draw it with sound. Yeah, yeah. A black hole at the center of the Perseus Galaxy Cluster. 
That's the Danish certification of the black hole at the center of the Perseus galaxy cluster 240 million light years away. <laughs> and the thing is that sonification, it is a very creative art form. What's going on is that there is a sort of like a radar beam that is being directed from the center of the black hole out to the measurements of radiation around the black hole and then those frequencies that represent the various stardust. Put it down the background as you explain it here. Yes. The stardust around the black hole is being illustrated by a radar that's telling you which frequencies are playing. So really we're hearing the light that surrounds the black hole. This is just the beginning of data sonification. You know what it reminds me of? An Outer Limits episode. Yeah. The galaxy. Yeah, yes. The very beginning of the the very first Outer Limit, the galaxy being, as Cliff Robertson is in a radio station um, transmitter room. Right. And he ends up speaking to an alien. On the third planet in the solar system, Earth. Are you I am scanning the microwaves. Now, this kind of astronomical data as sound is kind of similar to one a little bit later in this article where the Eagle Nebula is being represented by having a sonic frequency go across the Eagle Nebula with one set of frequencies that illustrate the stars and another set of frequencies that illustrate the gases. And so let's listen to that for a minute. Those are the stars. Now you're about to hit the pillars of creation. Stars again. Play it one more time. Okay, stars, pillar. So each of the little whistles that you hear is a star, and the more continuous low-frequency hum is the gas fields. Now, the pillars of creation, visually, let's see, how would you describe them? They're tall pillars of gas and dust where baby stars are born in them. It's a fairly well-known Hubble greatest hit constellation of a star nursery, right? (laughs) Oh, by the way, this is a feedback on the sound effect of the black hole. Uh, Russo writes, 
That sounds like millions of damned souls being sucked into the pits of hell. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> we, we thought it was very, very reflective of a black hole. Now, here's yeah. another take on how to do sonic illustration of yeah. the cosmos. And this is a model that was applied to a planetary system. The, the Trappist system. The musician basically represented the orbits of the satellites around a star, so the various planets, and each planet gets a beat when it crosses one point in the orbit. And so when you hear the beat, that is a particular planet returning to the origin point. Let's just call it the east. Mm. So when a planet crosses over the east compass point it'll make a sound it makes a beep and then the sound has a fall off and the pitch is related to how far the planet is from the star and its size so it, it has a relationship where it's communicating yeah. size distance and frequency yeah using standard instruments so it doesn't sound as alien as the other stuff but it gives you an idea and Every, they call the these beeps, the trappist sounds time you hear a beep different frequencies that's the orbit of that planet here we go Trappist sounds. Trappist one planetary system translated into Dana certification. First planet illustrated there. That's one, one orbit, big planet one going. Orbit. Every time you hear a beat, it's hitting the same spot. Yeah. That's the next planet discovered, though. Each of them hitting the east when you hear the beat. And then the third. The fourth. Sixth. Seventh. And now what happens? I think those are comets or something that are They're adding some beats beyond the planetary orbits. <laughs> and it's a light show. Right, crescendo, man. Crescendo. Here we go. Oh. Sounds a little like chaos, don't you think? No. It's all right, like we're diving into the star. You wanna, it's getting you more You want to go more. all the way. Oh. <sighs> Back nice. to infinite space and the deep silence. So. That was from... <laughs> Systemsound.com. And this, by the way, we're, we've got all of this great writing from the publication Salon. Salon.com created this article. And let's give a little shout out to the author, too, who put all these wonderful Astro sounds together for us. Elizabeth Helvinka. Yeah. From Salon. So, right. Thank you, Elizabeth. That's great. Yeah, great for radio. Love it. <laughs> it's a really interesting article. It's good. It also talks about mm. some of the scientists behind sound sonification some of whom have been blind. Christine Malik, for example, big astronomy buff, fascinated by the universe and wanted to use her sense of sound to understand it better. Right, and so her feedback to the group is whether it is harmonious, whether it is clearly communicating scientific information in a way that can be visualized, and also 
whether the communication is effective. And she had met the guy who had done the TRAPPIST solar system, the TRAPPIST-1 solar system sonification that we just heard. She contacted him. He was at a local planetarium in Toronto, in Ontario, Canada. And she contacted him and showed him that. And that's when she got excited about the possibilities of looking at the universe. This first one was of seven planets locked in an orbital resonance. It's something people who are blind or have low vision could actually experience it. Right. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed that, Mom. I, yeah. Hope you enjoyed that, Irene. I also wanted to point out that our friend Jonathan Quinton, many years ago, created a wonderful math lesson that I believe is available online, or maybe he's doing it through Resonance University where he teaches, where he showed the harmony of the planets in our solar system and how they all represented the... Oh, Fibonacci sequence? Thank you. Fibonacci. Yeah. I was coming up with different mathematical mm. systems. Yeah. So the Fibonacci series of numbers he used to illustrate the ratios of the planetary orbits of our solar system and show how they were set up along the ratios of the golden mean. A lot wow. I wanted to, one of more musical th- insights when you study space. Yeah. And what could be sonified? It looks like a lot of data could be sonified. Mm-hmm. Right, And music mm-hmm. is a very sophisticated way of understanding what's going on around us. It can be associated with all kinds of different systems that we could learn as languages. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to share, before we leave this topic, I wanted to play you the what's considered the very first sound from outer space, a sonification of data that came in from the Voyager 1 spacecraft. Oh, fun. Back in the late 70s. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was going Voyager. by... As it was going by Jupiter, it had antennas that were listening, and it picked up what turned out to be storms, lightning storms, on Jupiter. And the lightning came across in the sonification as kind of a whistle. So we're going to play that. Some of the first sounds from space for real. Yeah, this is the Jupiter whistling of the storms, the lightning storms of Jupiter. Jovian whistlers. That's one. Here's another one. <laughs> it's a little hard to get. Let's, wow. do Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Here's the first whistle. Jovian whistlers. Hear that? I hope you can because. hear that. It's... All right, I'm going to do my imitation of it. Okay. It's... So that's what lightning sounds like on a giant planet like Jupiter. Yeah, like this. Okay, there you go. That's the very first one got people thinking about this whole topic of data sonification <laughs> in a big way, at least for outer space. But people in, in, in other arenas too, like starting to look at DNA strands because DNA strands are different for different people, and you can probably hear the melody of a person or the melodies. Each person is probably a very sophisticated symphony. Mm, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They'll tell you so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? That is wonderful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Seeing with the eyes of our instruments. It just makes me realize that in the future, we're all going to have to learn sonic languages if we want to understand our pet AIs, right? Because mm. they'll be purring mm. in all of these sonic languages and we'll have to grok it. <laughs> Yeah, how are we going to learn the languages? 
Yeah, that's that's the other question. Isn't well, we it? know we're going to be teaching them to learn these languages because they can find correlations for us that we wouldn't see any other way. One of the things that these sonic scientists noticed is that they paid attention to these astronomical graphics in a very different way when it was accompanied with sound. So when you put your visual and your sonic senses together, you can actually see other possibilities of how this data can be used to give us very otherwise invisible information. Mm-hmm. Very fun. Fun, good stuff. Listen and be heard. Welcome to Santa Cruz Voice. We are local radio folks who have combined our three centuries of broadcast experience to give voice to the people of Santa Cruz County and beyond. It's going to be fun, and here's how you can get in on the fun. Go to santacruzvoice.com, download the free app, and listen anywhere to your favorite programs on your digital devices. Raise your voice. If you are an interesting person who likes to talk with interesting people about interesting topics, apply for your own voice show at SantaCruzVoice.com. Support the voice by supporting the local businesses you hear advertising on Santa Cruz Voice. And tell all your friends about Santa Cruz Voice, even those in Ushuaia, Tierra del Fuego. Get in on the fun! Listen and be heard at SantaCruzVoice.com. Okay, we are back, and who has dropped into the studio? Before our guest opens the mystery lips here, we're also hearing from our remote guests like Richard Cray, who says our mics are live, even when we think we're muted. So it's one mystery after another. Pull down the faders. I did. All the faders were down, so I'm thinking he was still hearing us. Yeah, he was still hearing us. How do you hear somebody with the faders down? Yeah, it's kind of must be a telepath, Richard. Yeah, or it's something that we are not noticing uh, or not realizing. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I don't know why. more the scientist here. So yeah, we'll have to figure that. that one out. Anyway, thanks we, for the feedback. Appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah. Okay. This is the inevitable Gabrielle. Visiting from the New Jersey. Inevitable. The inevitable. <laughs> inevitable. Can you, can you, can you describe that further? Can you clarify? Well, I always knew someone like you would show up in my life. Naked. The inevitable. The inevitable. Gabrielle. Naked and on the radio. Saying, oh, finally I've met my Gabrielle. Aww. And there she is. She's such an angel and fun person to hang out with, I might add. She's been having some Santa Cruz adventures from Jersey, from Southern Jersey. I've been having Santa Cruz adventures, including going out into the ocean here, which is... uh, Yes, I had a nice swim for the first time. In in the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, Ocean, yeah. Yeah. How would you compare that to Atlantic City? Oh, the water's really warm in the summertime. It's cold, obviously, in the winter. Much more, I guess, more 
bathy, you know, it's just more comfortable. But with my training from the Russian spa. Yes, right. Which we visited when we were in Philadelphia. Doing the cold plunge. Yeah, the hot to the cold to the hot to the cold. Oh, my God. The Russian Um, cold, the cold plunge was kind of like a visit to Siberia. Super cold. And the Arctic room. There's also the Arctic room where there's ice everywhere. So I'm actually. Instead of a sauna, you're in an Arctic room. Right. The water here was great. I actually had no problem swimming in it. And then we had a sailing adventure with our friend Stessa, who was mm-hmm. so kind yeah. uh, to bring me out with Captain Jim. Yeah, that was, was, um, was good for the first hour and a half. Yeah, right? she, you know, our friend Stessa is yeah. an amazing sailor. She traveled the world with her father. That's right, sailing. when she was yeah. in her uh, 20s, I believe. Yeah. What? She was so kind to ask Captain Jim, who is an amazing captain, so kind. Also, there's wonderful people. If I could join their crew hmm. for the day, they race, they're preparing for the regatta, you know, all the time. They're always doing like a little fun race out there. And on the day that we went out, there wasn't a lot of wind. So, hmm. we, so wound up, we wound up just kind of going out, and it was super nice. It was about a, a two-hour journey. You see um, the roller coaster from the water? No, no, we just we just um, set out from the harbor in the direction of Monterey. So we oh, were south. sort of along yeah, south, that. Down to the beach south. house. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, now you're a coffee person. You're an expert in coffee, pretty yes. much. You're on Boardwalk Beans. Boardwalk Beans. That's Atlantic City Boardwalk kind of deal. It we is. Have, have, you know, wherever there are boardwalks, like Santa Cruz. Yeah, we <laughs> could fit here, too. But you're from the East Coast yeah. boardwalk in I Atlantic the City. I am East so, Coast boardwalk. But you're, yes. you're kind of a gourmet coffee person. So yeah, uh, Santa roast, Cruz coffee, because mm-hmm. Santa Cruz kind of prides itself on its coffees. I'm just wondering if there's anything here that really caught your attention. The only <laughs> the only roaster I really like mm-hmm. in Santa Cruz is Verve. Um, Verve. You I like find, the one on 41st and, and Yeah, and, uh, the way that they roast is mm-hmm. very similar to the way I enjoy roasting. But my line, my product line is fully organic. And I roast differently from most people. I roast outside in rotisseries over an open flame. So yeah. Yeah, my coffee's that. different. It's more boutique-y. I, I roast to order. So my coffee's never sitting around or anything like that on shelves or sitting in bags. It's, it's good. so good that people yeah. just can't get enough of it and it disappears right away. <laughs> well, my model was initially to just create, how do I get the best cup of coffee to people? It was initially very selfish because I love coffee. <laughs> so, you know, it's the best tasting coffee. And so it's coffee that's fresh and it's coffee that's just been roasted. One of the things that's interesting about what you're doing with this is also the combination of coffee with mushrooms. Yes, I created an amazing product called Myco Spectrum, M-Y-C-O Spectrum. It's made with more than a dozen highly bioavailable adaptogenic mushrooms and fungi. We have an addition of two super fruits, mangosteen, which is a super orac mangosteen. So it's extremely high, not only in antioxidant content, but also its potential. And that's what orac means. It's a measurement of its antioxidant potential. Hmm. And it's extraordinarily high. And then there's another fruit called lucuma, which comes from Peru. It's this really nice mapley, very subtle maple taste to it. It's high in fiber. It's just a really lovely addition to it because it goes so well with the mushrooms. In the microspectrum? Right. And people can have that with cacao if they want. I formulated it with this amazing fermented cacao. It's a raw, organic. All of the ingredients are organic and third-party tested. 
My mushrooms and fungi are steam processed prior to being powdered, so they're super bioactive. They're easily digestible, and the nutrients are right there for your body to just love. I haven't really noticed that in the stores, pretty much. I mean, you can't really go to Starbucks and get a a mushroom combination Mm. drink. No, no, not yet. There are a lot of great products out there, but very few of them contain this full-spectrum mushroom powder. You know, when I formulate it, it's hard because I'm a very small business. So I can formulate things, but then finding sources for things and then being able to push the product out is very difficult just for yeah. me alone. So sure, yeah. so, so, so thanks for this platform, actually, for yeah. being here. And <laughs> you, you enjoy gonna... Mycospectrum. I do. I do. I feel very enhanced. Very enha- well, it's, it's like more awake. More... It's a superfood. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. More you know, energy. The, being an adaptogen, what it means is that at a cellular level, it's de-stressing you. It's, More relaxed. Right. Yeah. It's so antioxidant. It's repairing your cells really at the smallest level. And what that does, because we have this great mind-body integrative network, this torus of flowing energy, when your body starts to feel great at a cellular level, it goes to your mind because you start to feel better Mm. and it's recognizable and it's this great feedback loop that starts to take place and it creates this just beautiful balance in the body and mind it's just it's a total package it's also interesting as i I feel a little less jangy like from the caffeine and coffee the mushrooms seem to yeah yeah even though you do have the one with cacao the cacao that's in it is it's adds such a minute amount of caffeine, but it's really yeah. a synergistic part of the formulation. And it works yeah. great yeah. with coffee, as you say. It relaxes you, but you're getting that focus right, right. that you're looking for from your morning coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like stimulated relaxation. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. So what are you reading there? Gab's a bit of a, a science geek. I am. She always has a collection of books, and we were visiting her. She had a. I like reading about hacking so. our bodies and our brains and understanding ourselves yeah. better, how we work. Yeah. You're, <laughs> um, you're good friends with Pharmacist Ben, and who's, you share with that. Pharmacist Ben Fuchs, yes. Oh, um, here, you're also much beloved by Richard Craig. Gabby's coffee is great. She can also sing the hell out of the national anthem in her various voices. Oh. I love Richard. <laughs> yeah, she I was want, not sure I should have posted that. I want to sing Broadway <laughs> tunes with Richard one day. I want to, if we can. That's some high aspirations. Man. Yeah, Good we luck. can do that. I hope you succeed. Maybe we'll just um, do a virtual studio. That would be good. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. <laughs> so I'm reading a book called The Gamma Mindset. Mm-hmm. Scientifically proven to increase self-belief, confidence, and performance. The gamma Ac- mindset. Yes. Activate your superconsciousness brainwave and rapidly eliminate fear, self-doubt, and lack of belief. And program your mind to make more money, increase your success, and perform at your best. And it's by Dr. Chris Walton, uh. who is a longtime student of Dr. Bruce Lipton, who you know well. He's yeah. one of our uh, neighbors. He wrote The Biology of Belief. And what yeah. was his newest book called? Do you, do you recall? Um, he had one on love, The Honeymoon Effect. That yes. I remember. And he also but there was a new wrote one. Conscious Evolution with Steve Bauer. Okay. Steve, uh, Spontaneous Evolution. That's about 10 years old, though. Swami Beyond Ananda. Yes. No, there was a new, uh, there's a newer one. Was that the Heart book? This book is by one of his longtime students, and... He jumps off of Bruce Lipton's belief system, you know, his his the biology whole, of belief. The biology of belief, right, where our thoughts control not only the reality outside of us, but also our reality inside of us. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And epigenetics, so, I think, is Bruce's right. term for that. Well, epi, well epigenetics is... It's you a know, fancy way of saying that the environment stimulates the response of your genes. Y- right. But generally, when we talk about epigenetics, we'd be talking about this sort of long-term genetics from our ancestors or, or even our previous relatives. Like, let's say if my family came from Russia, which they did, part of my family, mm. the genes that would have developed over many centuries... Uh, to protect me in my environment. When we immigrated to the United States, the conditions of my environment changed. So the genetic makeup that had been a part of me from my ancestors might not fit mm-hmm. into my new environment. Well, yeah, yeah the um, way that the geneticists are now looking at it is gene expression is determined by gene response to both emotional and environmental conditions and it can be chemical it can be sonic it can be temperature it can be emotional yeah (laughs) and that's what this book is about so this book this book takes it to a micro level to the now and to say that not only do our thoughts create our literal reality inside and out but he's got a method he created a methodology to jumpstart Mm-hmm. that process and to get you going in this um has it changed uh, your way of processing reality at all i mean well you... i'm just i'm just getting into it i'm only uh, about 40 pages in right now but so far do you like it yes so. because i love i love bruce lipton's work so Which, of course, uh, we learned from Nancy Griffith that Bruce Lipton was a huge fan of Candace Pert, The Molecules of Emotion. Oh. And Which she co-strode with yes. Candace. Yes. You know, Pert is mentioned. Candace Pert? Uh, I'm not, not really. surprised. In this yeah. book. See, it's yeah. a certain yeah, cluster she was the there. real revolutionary, turned the insight about the molecules on its head by as suggesting the relationship between our emotions and the chemistry of our bodies. And now a lot of people are finding the scientific validation of that. That's where it's at. I am so convinced that everything rests with a thought. You can change everything in your entire life with a thought. You're depressed. I know this sounds flippant or, and I don't mean it to sound shallow in any way. I mean it to be literal. Yeah. That if you're responding to your environment in a way that's negative, it's all because of a thought that you can easily change with, guess what? Another thought. <laughs> well, to the degree. But, but as you were saying earlier, your thoughts are also arising from your chemistry. They're arising they are. from, the, from the language going on at your cells, in your body, in your organs. All of those things are talking to you subconsciously. And then right. your conscious thoughts are Correct. digesting it and telling the world. So it's like this great feedback loop. So if I wake up and I'm in total gratitude for my beautiful friends and this beautiful place in Santa Cruz and all of these people I love and the beautiful environment and I'm just so happy. That's gonna translate to all of my cells and then I'm also going to have my mycospectrum in the morning with my coffee. (laughs) And that's going to help me, you know, at this physical level where I'm literally de-stressing from within and paced together with the gratitude I feel great, y'all. You know what's going to happen? <laughs> I mean, you're living proof that as our human emotions get amplified, we're going to have to go outdoors. We cannot stay attached to our screens and we can't stay inside. We have to actually go share it in the wide open spaces with the trees and the I flowers and the bees. Yeah. This place is life is so, so 
big. Yeah, this place here, I'm, I'm with you in your home studio in Boulder Creek, and I've had a chance to spend quite a lot of time at the beach with our friend Dark Matters. <laughs> and, you know, he's always here yeah. to show us like what the ground level, where does the bottom begin? Right. <laughs> and, and yesterday we took that amazing hike through Pogo Nip. Oh. Yeah, yes. That, I hadn't done that for a long time. Love I've never Pogo done Nip. that. Yeah. It was beautiful. We had the waxing gibbous moon. Yeah. Our friend Stessa was with us. Our friend yeah. Paul. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just A very energetic adventure. So beautiful. But yeah. it was a beautiful day. And that's what I do when I'm here. I want to be outside as much as possible. Not that New Jersey isn't lovely. It is. You know, I live in the, the Pine Barrens. And yeah. we live around lakes and close to the ocean. Yeah. You get a lake right across the street from you. I do. But... There's nothing like being where the redwoods are growing and then to be so close to the ocean. They have these huge trees and then be near the beach and the earth is so alive here and I feel that and I, I just love it. Yeah. You guys, I, our time is very short and we haven't done enough of our commercials so I have to sneak one in. Thank you, Gabriel. If anyone wishes to know more, go to boardwalkbeans.com. That's boardwalkbeans.com. After the break, our next guest, Paul Gotell, will be speaking about self-revolution and really living the bigger you here and now. Hang tight, everybody. You're listening to Future Now Show with... Our dear friend Gabrielle, Bobby Wilder, Sun Lindell, Alan Dell. Here you go. What to gift the 96-year-old father-in-law, or anybody else for that matter, that won't end up collecting dust in a closet. Hello folks, Michael Olson here. Our friends Jaunty and Shelley up in Felton came up with a perfect solution. They bought the Teepee Creeper Company. Teepee Creepers are handmade, super soft, high quality sheepskin slippers. Teepee Creepers keep my feet warm and comfortable all winter long. And at the end of a long day, my feet feel as fresh as they did at the beginning of the day. See for yourself at teepeecreepers.com. Support a new local business with a 50-year national legacy and solve most all of your gift-giving dilemmas. Go to tpcreepers.com and use voice for the coupon discount. Okay, welcome back to the show. We are in our second hour of the Future Now show, and we have in the studio our very special guest, Paul Gotell, visiting from Maui, beautiful Maui, where that strange fire happened just a couple months ago. But Paul, however, is here to talk about mostly something else than that. He's written a book called The Big You, which is a guide to self-revolution. We'll probably be talking a bit about that with Paul. It's a small book with a big message. <laughs> Paul is not from Maui originally, as you will find out shortly. Welcome, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. So great to be back on the show. Always yes. just the highest vibrations up here on Future Peak. If you guys don't know, these guys have a beautiful space on top of a mountain, and it's called Future Peak. The show is Future Now. So this is where the downloads 
are there's less resistance, there's less distortion, <laughs> right. and the downloads come straight in here, and then they come out up to the airwaves to you guys. Uh, this You've is where, been this where the it, magic. Huh? This, uh, this, I've been feeling it. Yeah, definitely. I went through my own. Uh, talking of Maui, I've gone through my own resurrection. Just literally in the last week and a half, I got a bout of uh, E. coli and went into a interior world of reconfiguration. And um, just since you've arrived here, yeah, and yeah. it's perfect timing. Is that actually I woke up this morning with a like there's been a reset which oh. is how I believe that all illness is in the sense of a the mental approach to illness is a deconstruction and a reconfiguration and um, if you are open to the journey and less resistant to it and I've found that as I've gone through my life then yeah, yeah. these things actually end up being this amazing opportunity for, for change and up upgrading your, upgrading your system yeah, upgrading. As we were just talking about this biological reset with pharmacist Ben at the table uh, mm -hmm. the other day remember yep and Santa Cruz I think is one of those places in the world where you come to heal to relax a true vacation is one where you not just relax your body but your mind and, and come to some perhaps new integration of the two yeah I think one of the interesting things about anybody that has a let's say an active mind a mind yeah. a hungry mind which is always been something that i felt is a wonderful beneficial aspect of who i am but quite often the words like you're too deep or you too much like, that's very intense or just like when you dive into things mm. it can create a resistance because obviously when you dive into something you're going to discover something that's not apparent on the surface yeah and that can be mentally that can be emotionally etc but I think there's some really great opportunities in that. And yet, quite often, the intoxication for that, for me and people I know who are, let's say, acutely vibrating with their mind, yeah. is that we don't really know how to turn it off. Or I don't sometimes. So I believe mm. that uh, illness and things like this, one of the things that like stops me is when it involves fever or headache, these kind of things. I've had a journey with my teeth because that's also something that will instantly get my attention and yeah. my mind will, pain will be like the communication. I'm fortunate that I don't have a suffering with pain. In other words, I don't have a story of, oh, poor me, I'm so upset. How do you see pain? You see it as the body talking to you or do you try yeah. to turn it off with aspirin or? Yeah, so it's communication. I think it's a balance. Something stronger. You know, I think it's, it's, I think it's a balance in the context. I'm not a big pharmaceutical person. Mm. Let's just say that, just on any level, whether it be, mm. you know, whether it be called legal or illegal or these things. But at the same time, I believe everything ultimately has an aspect of source, Godhead, creator, universal power, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so in that context, whether it be homeopathy or whether it be Ayurveda or Chinese medicine, there's signatures that can help balance a frequency, especially when you mentally are in avoidance. I took some homeopathy. I also have taken some Dimanus, which is my particular E. coli. Dimanus is some cranberry extract. So I believe there's support systems you can do. Mm -hmm. I also believe for me, my journey with illness has always been that it will not really go away until I listen to it. Mm. In other words, there's a communication. And so I, I allow myself to unplug. So there's mm -hmm. unplugging experiences. So there was a series of four days of fevers and very interesting dreams, that, mm. you know, very surreal dreams, mm. which I'm still sort of unpacking a bit. But some of them were definitely around letting go of the judgment of childhood. 
was specifically the more, judgment of childhood yeah you mean the as an adult human being there is a certain context as you're moving from childhood to the concept of adulthood where you have this idea that you're growing up like this is an improvement that you're letting go of the childish things and unfortunately in that journey a lot of the time the backlash of that is a judgment against aspects of ourselves that actually are part of the joy of life, part yeah, of the... Yeah, sort of the fun you had as a kid actually yeah. is the kind of fun you, you should be allowed to have as an adult, but with the adult awareness. Exactly, exactly. Fun, spontaneity, creativity, yeah. silliness, yeah. trust in the moment. In other words, trust in your authentic expression in the moment without trying to avoid loss or try and get gain which can pervert that so just really being in that presence i have an acronym for fun actually which is fully unencumbered now and <laughs> so the idea is that yeah. you don't bring the baggage of the past and you're not trying to pick up baggage of the future and that's when you know you're in fun and it's yeah. whether we all do it whether we're dancing or singing or whatever but a lot of us take something to move us out of our focal adult brain to move into that but if we're very lucky, like this, for instance, this yeah. I know this is a passion for you to do this radio show. And so mm -hmm. in, the, in the radio show, two hours, no matter what all the preparation before and after and all the editing in yeah. the show, you guys are very much your age drops, your, your <laughs> dynamic drops, and you just become, you're fully uncumbered now. You're in the moment. And that's, that's one of the benefits and positiveness, I think, of talk radio is this, 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 this is a sort of spontaneous expression. Yeah, yeah. You cannot plan and you cannot script if you have a live show, calling in, interviewing guests. If you're really present in the moment, then it comes across. It's very inviting. It doesn't tolerate preparedness. Yeah. <laughs> but what it brings to mind, though, is that we all have had ways in which we can stay into a better states of mind as the world turns. Right now we're dealing with um, the Middle East and uh, oh. we're dealing with the... yeah politics um, that are divisive to us and I'm just kind of curious how do you deal with the news do you just not pay attention to it or or what the thing is we all get to choose exactly where we are in our relationship to experience the precursor to this is that everything that ever could or would happen is happening on some degree yeah. we have my personal journey with time is that we've created time so that we can like piecemeal our experiences mm. over eternity. Mm. Piecemeal our experiences over eternity. That's quite a yeah. quite a concept. Well, <laughs> and, it, so, it's so, and so it's so everything doesn't happen all at once. Exactly. Because it's like if you have yes. a smorgasbord table of infinite variety of food and you try to eat it all at once, not only would you make yourself sick, but you would not have the individual experiences oh, okay. and delights. So time is a way of making sure everything doesn't happen at once. Yeah, yeah. So in that context you can in any moment focus on an exterior so if everything is existing all at once and your choice about what you pay attention to so in other words on the first level we as humans have already made a choice to come as humans and we are limited in our receptors so we have so we have the human experience yeah so we have sight and we have smell and we have these things now we all know that dogs can smell a hundred times more than us yeah. uh, the cats can hear like 20 times more than us or whatever the numbers but are we don't you know? worry about it because we don't experience that right so there's there's yeah. these and and frequencies we know that yeah. there's infrared and ultraviolet and way beyond our human senses uh, yeah and so 
out of the infinite amount of information that's hitting us, we take yeah. a very small slice that our senses can take. And then out of that, so let's say out of the trillions, we take a, like a, a few thousand. But out of that mm -hmm. few thousand, that which we pay attention to, even that few thousand, is too much. And so then we pay attention to that which which we are paying, you know, that sets is based on our in, intention. Mm. And so in each moment, you can have an intention. So out of the infinite amount of experiences that are happening in this universe, but specifically on this planet and all mm -hmm. these things, you can choose which ones you pay attention to mm -hmm. and which ones then you own in the sense of reflection. Yes, so well, when, when yeah. a worldwide event happens, yeah. whether it be positive or traumatic, each of us, we have this, oh, wow, we're having a, a, a group experience. But each of us interprets it, it impacts us based on our own story around what it means or doesn't mean. In other words, uh, eight billion individual stories ultimately, but then mass media creates these shared stories that we have a choice of believing or not. Yeah, I mean, I personally, you realize the agenda of media. I think it was probably 25 years ago that I decided to unhook from media. Because you knew the agenda that was... Yeah, I was on radio and I was in the music business and I, was, I got to see that the, the choices around certain things to direct certain attention, what propaganda is. Mm. And obviously now we're in an explosive time of propaganda in the sense of the device of the internet means that there is just an infinite amount that you can choose. So at any day, you can choose to fill your day with amazing, positive, uplifting, heart-opening experiences, or you could spend the whole day looking at suffering and, and turmoil and these things. And yeah, anything and, each, and everything all of the time. Yeah, Burns and each says. of us has yeah. a choice. And, and of mm -hmm. course, there are those who have a, let's say, it's understanding that each thing that happens is actually serving each of us in the sense of our, our reflective emotional impact to it. So certain things will impact certain people much stronger than others and vice versa. You know, certain things will get people very upset and another person will kind of feel like it's not even relevant to them. And so uh, for me, I just really trust what comes to me. So mm. for instance, I'm with you guys and I hadn't really paid attention and then I think the first night we sat and watched a whole bunch about it and so I got some information about it again it really does depend whether you see the world as you were saying divisive so separate yeah. or whether you see the world as reflective mm -hmm. and so my concept about reality is that it's the past of my own imagining it's actually the 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 screen of my life is reflecting back to me who and what i am and the journey i am taking and the opportunity to either get more lost in that journey or become more clear in that journey in the sense of where i'm deceiving myself and i think external dynamics that have a, a context around suffering and death and these things are very, very strong. Um, and as you know, I've actually had two near-death experiences. So the idea around death, I have a different relationship with it. So I have a, an understanding that death is not an ending through my experience in my life. Now, of course, other people don't have that experience or don't have that belief, and therefore they All right, they so not an ending. So what is that, the beginning of a new chapter, a new life? I mean, do you have your memories that continue after death? I mean, where do you stand with well, that? The, Reincarnation? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe that uh, the stories we tell about what something could or couldn't be are always informed by the position we are currently taking. So our perspective yep. informs... What you believe to be true now. Yeah, 
And so obviously when you move from that perspective, then you're suddenly aware, you know, the classic elephant story about the different blind beggars touching an elephant and each one describing a completely different thing, but it's actually all of it. Do I believe there's a continuation of energetic presence? I do. Do I believe that that continuation of energetic presence has memories in the context of the identity? No, I actually believe the identity is the, is the limitation. It's like a video game avatar. And at a certain point, you exhaust it, and therefore it would make sense that you would want to leave it behind. But what you glean from it, just like any skill that you learn in life, you glean some wisdom of dynamics. The dynamics of wisdom is what you actually take with you without hooking to the factuality of experience. So the person, the age, the male, female, all these identifying factors Mm. are just, uh, let's say, they're lenses that you put onto your receptor to see, focus on a certain experience. Because in that certain experience, there was the revealing an opportunity of the wisdom. But the wisdom is then available once you crack open the identity. So once you recognize that the identity was a device to enable you to have the experience, then you are no longer attached to that. And then the concept or or what my current, let's say, exploration is, can I live as a fluidity rather than an identity? Which means that a situation like last week happens to me and instead of going, oh my God, I- With the E. coli. Yeah, Yeah. am I gonna die again? Am I gonna, you know, it's like, I go, oh, what part of me is not going to survive? What part of me, what baggage have I been carrying that I could do with putting down? That's a great question to ask yourself. Yeah, it creates opportunities to really select your identity and leave out the things that are causing your suffering or just not enhancing who you want to be. Uh, George asks, is ego identity? Ego identity? George is um, remote, but he's live. (laughs) Okay, so identity is all the factors that one would identify with. Okay, so ego in that context has different meanings to different people, but essentially the way I describe ego is in a metaphor of that we're a computer and then we have the software running the computer. And we have the operating system, which, as you know, I've spoke about before. I believe that we are in a, let's say, a faulty understanding of our operations. That we have a a species operating system? Yeah. The premise of human Uh operating system is... is, Human operating system. Is actually... HOS. Is a mistaken understanding of trying to understand, like, trying to make sense of this human experience. Yeah. And so, and it has a number of holes in it, just like a lot of physics theories. And in mm. those holes, we add in things like good luck, bad luck, karma, fate. We make up words to fill in the stuff we don't understand because mm. we are actually looking from a limited perspective. So the operating system itself is something that I was able to understand in my near-death experience. I was a presence outside an identity. And in witnessing that, I was able to see the mistakes of that perspective. Gotcha. So the disassociation of the near-death experience allowed you to look back on it, see it in operation. Yeah, and understand. Instead of thinking you were that Paul, was, that was you. you looked at Paul and said, oh, that was a small me. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so the ego, essentially, without understanding what it is, so to speak, is all the acquired, let's say, programs that we've put into our startup folder. And so every morning everyone wakes up 
And a lot of people go, oh, I'm not, I'm not awake yet, or I need my coffee, or I need this, or I need that. Yeah. And what's happening is they're booting up. It's a bit like when you turn your computer on and you get that spinny thing, whatever yes. it is. Yeah. And <laughs> and essentially what it's doing is it's loading yeah. in the background yeah. all these premises. And so in our body, you know, it's like... You, the body like, does that too. Your body does Biologically that. Biologically reboot. Exactly. But the thing is, what happens is that we haven't developed a society, which is where meditation kind of starts as such, where you start the day and you go, oh, hang on, before I boot up, let's check in. What's in my startup folder? What is booting up? Yeah, I clean it it every so often, a few years. (laughs) Right? So a lot of people never clean. They never check it. It's very interesting that you refer to your morning startup as we check in. And I'm wondering, what is your way of understanding the relationship of the unitive ego identity and uh, the multiple sub-personalities that make uh, up I, who you are in the world? I sense the universe of self coming in here. So I think what Sun's asking me is about the context of how do I relate to others? Well, there's the symphony the of self. No, 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 not at all. There's, there's yeah. a new theory on, on consciousness where we are actually many sub-personalities working together as a symphony. Well, and the way that you, your near-death experience that you described, you you felt this non-identified self-being looking at some partial self. And so I was kind of extending that into the idea that there are many of those kinds of expressions. And I wanted to hear how you understood that relationship of the unity to the many in yeah. your own identity. I love word plays. And one of the cute word plays that came through in essentially it's called embodied channeling is, is essentially what happens. I start yeah. talking and out comes quite often some quite like large conceptual ideas. And, yeah. and then I go, well, okay. <laughs> and then sometimes they're quite fun. And one of them was, is that all other is my other. In other words, my, my mother. So all other is my mother. In other words, I am the, um, like, I am birthed from this infinite reflection. So I am creating this projection. I'm then having the receptors of that projection. And then I am birthed anew. If I'm willing to show up each moment fully unencumbered. So, you know, without bringing the past with me. Mm. And, and so the percentage that you show up in each moment. clear channel then. The percentage you show up in each moment in the sense of um, a concept of ownership of identity, that is the amount of percentage you'll show up in the moment not being authentic. Because authenticity isn't attached to identity. It's, it's actually the removal. The more that you remove that which you identify as, the less that you are in the way of the expression that might want to come through. So that's paraphrasing the idea of self-consciousness as something that's in the way of the real train of creativity. Yeah, at any moment there is, I talk about, you know, how do you know what that is? And so how you know is you're at peace. And what's the realization of peace is happiness. So the human witnessing of, oh, I'm completely at peace right now, I'm, there's no, is that feels happiness. And the other states are either insistence or resistance. And so when you're in insistence, you're trying to force something other than what is. And when you're in resistance, you're trying to stop the loss of something that you've acquired that you're trying to bring into this moment. Mm. So a lot of what we do in every moment has an agenda to basically either gain something through insistence or avoid loss through resistance. Mm. And what happens in that is that you block out the opportunity 
of what could actually be revealed through you and therefore reflected back to you from others. But those others are actually the reflection. So the more authentic you are in each moment of projection, the more authentic you receive the reflection from the other mm. in that context. Mm. Reflecting on the concepts here. The mirror, well, the mirror, the outside reflecting the inside, the inside reflecting the outside, a back and forth uh, relationship. That is the nature of a laser. Did you know that? Two mirrors in front of each other reflecting the light back and forth and one is just slightly better than the other as a mirror and that slight difference allows the beam to come out of one of them you know that no i didn't this is yeah. this is this is the, the scientific that's uh, a scientific beauty yeah it's a, the beauty of bouncing back and forth a million times and then finally one side is slightly different and it and the beam comes out that side slightly less resistance i was just thinking whether or not a laser beam kind of effect could happen with consciousness i think it is <laughs> On the basis of what you just said to me, I think that is what is happening. I, huh. I, for me, consciousness is singular. Yeah. It's a unification? Yeah, it's a unification. So if there's only one of us in here, then why do we bother to use dating apps? Uh, why do we have multiple? Why do we bother to have experience in any context is because we want to experience the infinite possibility of ourselves. And every reflection slightly alters the angle of reflection and then, and then that adjustment enables us to see something slightly different and then oh, it's we, a whole new infinite universe right yeah. on the end of that beam going away and then it just the it just intrigue and curiosity and that's why for me you know we have the concept of eternity and we create the linear stretch of time so that we basically can explore ourselves infinitely for <laughs> eternity without repetition Infinitely and for joy, joy without joy, reputation. Yeah. Novelty Joyful, wins. Joyfully entertained. That's a mind-boggling <laughs> concept. But it makes sense of existence, and it includes all ideas. You see, what I was looking for in, huh. in the sense of OS3 was yeah, well, what is inclusive of all and allows for all and is an operating system that makes sense of all possibilities. And so this is where my mind went to refine and dial down to what's yeah. the base on which this would be. Because then if in that concept, you're like, oh, okay, so I can explore anything in any way for as long as I possibly want and have any belief and then see that reflected and explore that and explore the idea of separation and all these things. All of this then now makes sense if ultimately what we're doing is ultimately entertaining ourselves with the exploration of ourselves. And we infinitely get closer to source or God or whatever word you want to use it, but we actually never arrive because to arrive would mean we left and we never actually left. Mm. And so the illusion of leaving gives the opportunity of exploration, exploring infinitely yourself, your being, but that self is the grand self. It's what I call the big you. Yeah, and not to forget that you're connected with that. Well, because I when have, you do... You're... Well, you f choose to forget. No. When you choose to forget, it gives you the opportunity. Yeah. Right? There's an opportunity. All limitation is focus. Yeah. And in, in focusing on one thing, 
it's like you had uh, uh, Gabby on earlier and she was talking about mushrooms and that. So she is focused in that area. In that area, she can become specialized and dive deeper, just like the concept of the micro and the macro. By zooming in, you know, when Pi revealed this number, it's not just that it goes out forever, expands forever, but it actually goes, so goes in, in forever. forever. Infinite down, infinite up. Exactly. And so yeah, the whole context with, uh, you guys are very much into technology, so the whole context of chips and all these things is that actually you can basically create by separating further, by splitting something further, you can create more and more relations and more and more opportunities for creation. That's so funny because the thing I've been wanting to ask you is how do you take this worldview and this understanding into parenting? Because I know you're a really fantastic parent and <laughs> I think that most people say that that's the most important teacher in their lives and I'm curious, how does that all fit together? Yeah, Paul, you have got two kids, a boy and a girl. Yes, I have two wonderful children. And, uh, Teenagers? They're, they're, not, they're not listening, so I'm not trying to win any brownie points here. Right. But, you you uh, teach them these ideas <laughs> that they're infinite beings? and yeah. You know, it's the... Part of the interesting journey of children is the reflective quality of your own child. So when you have children, you are actually taking, let's say, a master course in self-inquiry into your own childhood. Because without consciously being aware, scripts that are hidden outside of parenting start to play in the concept of you being a parent. And they are scripts of either wounding as a child or trying to fix or heal. Hmm. Um, and they're covered and paraphrased with sociological ideology around children being innocent and children needing help and children needing guidance and these kind of things. And yet, in all honesty, the child is a reflection of your own hidden inner child and they are, especially as teenagers, they're the, the most beautiful, accurate reflector. In other words, you speak to other parents and it's so frustrating. I was doing this and I did that and I did that for them and I did that for them. And then they just completely blew up at me and or they just ignored me or they don't respond to me. or And there's a sort of a disconnect of this behavior shouldn't, it's not an accurate behavior of the basis. I'm really trying yeah. to be this great parent. and I wouldn't have done that if I was a kid. Right, well, this, <laughs> is, this is not right or something. Yeah. But really, when you really look at it, and, and, and it's, you know, my son specifically is very, he's 17, his name's Phoenix, and of course, so Phoenix, he's constantly reinventing himself, right? And his uh, second name is Surachai, and Surachai is the Thai word, his mum's from Thailand, and it means success through integrity. So my whole thing is that the authenticity is key. So he will be authentic no matter what, but he will not beat about the bush. And so if there's any energy, and this is what kids really teach you, is that you get so much from them as little children in the sense of, Daddy, and we love you, and da, da, da. And you're like, wow, wow. And your heart just wants to be open, and this is this beautiful experience. You know, of course, it's not always like that, and there's all these other things, and I'm sure, you know, all parents have all these other challenges and everything, but there is these moments. And then they suddenly they transport into this journey into their own autonomy in the context, this is what it seems like, but the context really is that they then, it's their own authenticity. And so that which they adopted from you becomes questionable and in a lot of cases becomes actually rejected. Not rejected because it doesn't make sense, but rejected because they need and wish 
to explore their own, let's say, perception of a concept and explore that. And so to explore that by rejecting the, like, the premises that are being put on them, they can find other premises. And one of the biggest things I've felt as a parent in this journey through dealing with teenagers in that sense is this demand, the subtle demand of expectancy of good behavior. So you all, mean they demand that of you or you demand that no, of no, them? No, no, no. Humans, we have this idea that if we're good, then we will be rewarded. Reward comes from good behavior. Now, we all have different ideas what good behavior is. You know, some people have very extreme, seemingly negative behavior that in their mind they think is they're being good and God's going to reward them, right? Sure. Like uh, a rebel will really yes, take a, comfort in the fact that they can't be controlled and they're free or something. Yeah, you know, freedom fighters, you know, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the freedom fighter in their mind really believes they're going to be rewarded for this, right? You know, that's one of those dynamics. And so in this context, as a parent, you think this is what a good parent is. Now, we all have a different picture of that. We think we have a similar picture, like we have, we think we have a similar picture on loads of different social constructs, but we have very different ones, just like we think we're seeing the same colors, but our eyes are actually interpreting them completely different. So here's this idea. And so you behave in a certain way, and then you get this reaction. So obviously, in the world of separation, I would be able to blame and point fingers and people would agree with me. Yes, that's completely rude or that's obnoxious or that's not justified or it's poor you or whatever it is. But in the world of uh, unification, where it's all me and a projection, I'm like, mm, OK, so what's going on here? If this is a projection, if this rejection is a projection, then I must have had that's rejection is resistance, right? So I must have had insistence. And so I started to be able to see the part of me as a parent that was doing behaviors, therefore, in all of life, where we do good behaviors and they come with a trade agreement that isn't necessarily fully put like out an there. An assumption. An assumption that you will appreciate me, you will thank me, you will want to spend time with me, the, all the things that should come from someone being a nice person. And if that is in any way laced into the behavior, then the behavior actually is like, it's like a draining demand. Uh -huh. And my son especially has no time for that. <laughs> and he will snap that in my face. And it's really made me wake up to how we as a human have created an operating system around that, around the reward and punishment, which is why we feel so frustrated when we seem to be unjustly punished because we go, but, but I, I was doing the good things. I was doing the good things. Why is this bad thing happened to me? You know, the big question, this is one of the OS2 questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do tragedy happen to young children? Because we're thinking in reward and punishment. And so we're constantly manipulating ourselves. And I think being a parent has been one of the most amazing teachers to really get that. And, and when I shift, when I really get it and I grok it, then instantly they change. And you, you know, <laughs> it's almost like an energetic that oh, exactly. just right. changes the recipe or something. All right. Well, recently, didn't your son buy all your electric car and it ran out of uh, juice in the <laughs> middle of nowhere and he hit oh this is so interesting now my son is a virgo and he's very <laughs> private and now on the radio station uh, uh, son has oh. son has outed an experience oh my <laughs> wasn't me no i'm i no sorry not son Al, Al, privacy yes. of your, your son's not listening uh, anyway no, your beloved, nothing no, no now we're talking about okay. trust here and yeah. i've always had the policy that i'm not afraid to say in public things that I say directly to people's faces so I try to channel those communications through my heart mm -hmm. 
and make sure that what I'm saying isn't hurtful, even though I have this sense of humor where I'm happy to put it out in a kind of a ridiculous way. And I'm not always yeah. appreciated for that. So I'm just giving you a chance to consider what you're going to say with the idea that you'll get the feedback. Yeah, which so. is what you want, right? Feedback. I mean, oh, mirror, yes. mirror okay. universe. Oh, so absolutely. It's always a feedback. All right. Yes, exactly. So the, so the electric the, the car question. incident. Yeah. yeah so, we wanted that, to... so how did did everyone learn their lessons there? Was that it? Did your son and <laughs> yes, you uh, have a... Yeah. I mean, actually, actually, you know, disaster? the... Disaster? Well, it wasn't a disaster. Like anything. Yeah. Uh, things. Disaster mentality. That's not the right mentality in, to look well, at. The well, disaster mentality is that there was, no, there was some loss. I think there was a challenge but in there his was sense of personal responsibility. Right, maybe that would be an. Ex- but I think the example. thing is that he actually took that on. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he right literally before I came on air, I was in communicating with him. He's at at the property and he's working off the cost of that experience. So there did was he, an experience. Neil, can you tell so the audience a little, a little bit about what that, happened? Huh? What what is? Just <laughs> Very simply, he has a he drives my electric car now, and he was learning about range. A range anxiety? He didn't have any range anxiety. Well, he didn't. This is the point. He didn't yeah. have any range anxiety. And he looked yeah. at the car and he said, well, it says 30 miles left, so I can go, go 30 miles. I can, I can go, go 30 miles. That's a lie. That does not really mean 30 miles. And, he, yeah. and, you know, and anybody who's had a car, yeah. whether it be electric or not, you know that you know your car might say something. But whether it be gas or electric, the point is that if you're going up a hill... And on, the, on the Maui, juice, yeah. we have a very big hill yes, called, called Haleakala. Right? Yeah, it's a guess, not a guarantee. So if you drive down the hill, suddenly your car goes, oh, I've got 30 miles. And then if you drive up the hill, the car goes, oh, I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> because now you're needing like 10 yeah. times the energy to move <laughs> however a, heavy that car it's, is. It's up an average, that 30. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. this is the design of the universe is so perfect. I mean, I can use this as an exploration, you know, because... Yeah. He perfectly was a learning experience. Perfectly, he broke down exactly in a gulch. So <laughs> in a gulch, a gulch is kind of like a gorge, Bottom you know, where, the hill. And, and where you where there's bad signal and you can't get good signal, and you know, your phone he was stuck, and he was stuck in, and his phone didn't, and work. there wasn't a place where he could pull off the road, Uh-oh. and he was trying to communicate with the insurance to get the tow and that didn't happen and then a series of events happen and then the police come and go well you're blocking the road we'll have to get we'll organize a tow the cops will and that cost you a fortune no and doubt. yeah and then yeah. that was a, that was it well it, you know it was definitely i had a little journey with that because i went <laughs> online and i'm like well, how much is it supposed to be uh, yeah. 500 that sounds like a lot like why you know yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it is what it is. And then, of course, they can't get hold of me. And then when they eventually do get hold of me, they're just getting code. And I'm like, but we have coverage, you know. So there's all these, what I call divine order logical chaos. And so when something logically does not make sense, it is an opportunity for us to unhook our structure of understanding because there's a divine order that will make sense. So we just have to unhook what we think we know about a situation to allow for other possibilities. And so... This was a series of those events. And then, you know, so basically the person shows up and says, oh, our office is closed. We can't charge you now. So we have to take it down to our depot and you'll have to come and pick it up to the next day. And so then, you know, I have to get involved with my son. by the day. Whatever it is, you know, yeah. it's like money and numbers are so fluid. We're all still here, right? Yeah. We, all yeah. st- we all managed to do whatever we did. We all managed to get through experiences. It wasn't really about that. It was about me being faced with the 
So I called my insurance company and I tried to call the depot, the tow company. I was like, this is ridiculous. And I did all sorts of defensive posturing around defending my child. And then I realized, <laughs> oh, hang on. This is an experience he brought to himself. What am I trying to defend him from? <laughs> Learning? Okay. So, so I did. you did an about face. I did a bit. And then I went, okay, I just need to drop that. And then I even actually, while I was here, going through my E. coli, I was processing about my son and my relationship. And we now have a situation where I paid and he's now got to pay me back. And it'd been a few weeks and I was starting to feel a little bit now. One of my stories is that now I'm in this place of having to be the one who demands payment and you know, <laughs> so you're, that you're feels in the awkward, awkward. position because he's not showing up with his agreement right this so. was this was my story yeah. right and mm-hmm. and then i realized hang on did he actually do anything quote unquote wrong was he you know was he with os2 did he do something no he didn't he just made a mistake and yeah. okay i'll just let it go i mean it's like the money's already spent and it, yeah. more money will come well, you in helped. And, i mean it's not like you just said hey son deal with it you know I, i'm with my friends yeah. well and you didn't make it yeah. like a shame moment as yeah. much as a learning moment yeah right and and then what's interesting is that when the minute i let that go he then responded and said hey dad i've been unwell but i'm going to go to the property today and i'm going to start working beautifying the property as a way of paying you back and we came to an agreement and he's oh, nice. been and nice. he's been there three times but it was definitely i had yeah. to let go of the story that i as a good father this is the good parent should what you must understand the consequences of your behavior sir yes right. exactly exactly <laughs> you know and, and and ensuring that he like a parent really is the one like that life isn't the one that's going to ensure he gets the consequences, <laughs> right? Like God, life, big you, whatever you want to call it. We all cannot avoid the consequences, but we have a story about what they are and the judgment and the reward and punishment, which is twist because sometimes the consequences of breaking down da, 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 could be or various other things that have happened to me, like near-death experiences, can actually be amazing life shifts. It can lead to the most beautiful, amazing shifts because you let go of your restriction. And so more and more as I've gone through my life, I, you know, it's like I now celebrate loss as the act of purification, which allows me to be authentic, which allows me to be more present which allows me to be more joyful with my entertainment of my looking at myself through my journey of life i think that is such an amazing way to go with this energy and these lessons because so often people turn their own uncomfort and discomfort with the way their consequences are stacked against them and the defensiveness that posture and instead of releasing it, they actually add to it and make it worse. And that is one of those big, gnarly things about lessons on earth is how do you make it better instead of worse when you are really sticking up for your belief of what is the important lesson here? And you have some keys on how to guide yourself in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. If I hadn't have had the ultimate loss, which was the loss of life, I wouldn't have understood that that was the fallacy of OS2, the fallacy of human thinking, the fallacy of the concept of all language is built on this, is that the good gain, bad loss, which is this ideology, which is that if I've gained something from an experience, it's a positive, and if I've lost something from an experience, it's a negative. And this constant story of trying to, that we come in as a potential and we're trying to ingratiate But what I'm understanding now is that it's actually good loss, bad gain. The only thing you could lose is that which you are not. 
because what you are will still be present. And so therefore every loss is actually an act of purification and all gain in the context of trying to get, reaching to grab, to grasp, to ingratiate, to make yourself more is actually behind that is an agreement that what you are is not enough right now and that adding to you will improve some worth, some value, some self a story around your reason for being and your reason for having existence and, and why people should want to be with you and this kind of thing. And so therefore, ultimately, what you will do is you will pervert your authenticity in every moment you add an agenda. So each moment of expression of authenticity of source coming through you will be adjusted based on trying to get a reward or trying to avoid a punishment trying to avoid loss and trying to get gain. And so in that context, anything you get actually matches that which you are not because you've adjusted that which you would be in the authentic, unadjusted version. You've adjusted it to try and get something. So everything that that arrives to you from that place fits who you are not as opposed to who you are. And therefore, then retention of that as time goes on each, let's say, promise, agreement, whatever, becomes a restriction for you to stay in the place of where you were. So you basically are inhibiting your evolution. And so the process of entropy, the process of deconstruction, is actually the process of life, the process of existence, the process of evolving. You actually are not ever supposed to be a static identity. And this is my concept, uh, the book I'm working on now is Fluidity, the Art of Deconstruction, is that you're always a fluidity. You mm. never weren't anything but a fluidity. Fluidity. You, you're fluidity. You know, you know the, uh, Bucky Fuller wrote a book called I Seem to Be a Verb. Absolutely. So you would agree? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you, It's like the Zen story about you go to the river and you look at the river and then you go back the next day and you look at the river and you go back the next day and you go, oh, yes, I've seen that river many times. You know, No, no, you've seen many rivers once. <laughs> because it's the water is different. It's always different, yeah. It's always different. And, and you yeah. are a conduit. You're and you're not, always changing too. So you're yeah. deconstructing yourself all the time then as part <laughs> of what everydayness is. Yeah, suffering is the retention of identity. Suffering is the retention of identity. <laughs> retention of the oh. of a static identity of your old your how you That's were. very abstract. Well, uh, some people it? would say suffering is a little more close to home than that. <laughs> retention of identity yeah. when so you've got a pain in your foot might not really seem like it's going to help you fix it. Change your well, identity as, change as, your as foot. you know, I just yeah. broke my toe, right? Yeah. Yeah, you've been walking well, around with a cane. Yeah. yeah. So I understand that if you're listening to this show and, you know, the, who's, the, who's this English geezer spouting off some stuff. <laughs> but all of these are what, yeah. for me, makes sense very clearly of the experiences that I go through. And what the world does or what I've manifested in my reflection within the world is, especially in the last two years since this is how I'm, I'm actually out in the world speaking about this and going on stage and speaking about this, is that I have illnesses, I break toes, I break knees. Just like everyone, right? Like I have an accelerated, uh, luggage gets lost, like roofs cave in, you know, whatever. And I have an accelerate, they're they're accelerating and the reflection and even just the being ill with E. coli last week, which previously was a death experience for me, last week was I was very present to, oh, yeah, this doesn't hold that fear anymore. So there's a revisiting of let's say harmonics that previously have thrown you that you see the gift of them i see so you kind of go wait i'm suffering what does this show me and then as soon as you can understand the lesson as soon as you receive the communication that 
changes your identity and that changes your relationship with the suffering. Yeah, so the identity of being a strong, capable, young, virile man who can hike and do things like that, suddenly breaking my knees or breaking my foot and being in a wheelchair... That's what's really being suffering. Now, the pain, we all know we can, you know, we can take painkillers. Obviously, there's a whole further journey down there about that. But getting addicted to them or whatever, that's a whole different conversation. But the point is, we can stop the immediate level. Like, for instance, if your foot hurts by walking on it, stop walking on it. (laughs) But if you feel you have to walk on it, now then there's suffering, right? So obviously I come to you guys and I celebrate Al's birthday. We celebrated Al's birthday. So you're Libra too. Yes, absolutely. It's all about finding the balance, yeah. right? Actually, you had the first big party, yeah, the white party. That's right, which Maui. we did. We were invited to, but we yeah. didn't You came to our party. Yes, because yeah. we would have flown to Hawaii yeah, for we had to get our party 48 hours and then back or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. It's and, and even that, the day before the white party, I was having a moment, as we do. Yeah. I have moments around my birthday. I think many people do. I thought about it, which is this idea of the birthday is that somehow this is the day that those who love you in your life can show you and, and you get to witness this expression of being loved in yeah, some way, right? Sure. Whether it be gifts or calls or whatever. And so... As you get older, and we've set this intention up as children, mm-hmm. and as you get older, what happens is, especially, and this is something I had to come to terms with, mm-hmm. there's a sort of sense of accomplishment of being an adult and being capable and all these things. And so what happens is that sort of people feel that there's less requirement to bolster you. Like, what do you get someone who's asked everything? You know, that kind of yeah. ideology. Yeah. And so I was uh, having this moment where I was feeling a little limited because my broken toe and feeling, well, there should be people here helping me. And I recognized that if this is a reflection, the reflection is that I am not valuing the authenticity of vulnerability. So I am not portraying to the world a side of me that's vulnerable. Mm. Hey, in the final minute, uh, how can people find out more about you and what you're doing? You have a regular Instagram transmission every day. Yeah, so I uh, am Instagram, LinkedIn, even Facebook. And Um, what do we look for? And uh, I have a WordPress site called The Big U. I also have a website, paulgotel.com. Paulgotel.com. G-O-T-E-L. Go tell. Go, go, go tell, tell it on the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Go tell. Go tell everyone. <laughs> so, yes, you can get those. There's a, the book, The Big You, which is now in audio form. This the, is basically how, how you can re- deconstruct yourself and re- yes. re- reboot your system to your newer awareness. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. And there's a lot. There's about 1,600 posts there now, and it's all... You can basically flick through and search an idea like jealousy or whatever, and then you can deconstruct what is that? And Whatever you're that? going through, you can look up because you've, you've been there, yeah. <laughs> most likely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Paul, for being on the show. Really, you're really, most really welcome. Always a super pleasure. Always yeah. flies by. And what's next uh, for you? What's next for me is a cruise, nomad cruise, uh, where I'll be speaking about these subjects from Africa to Rio. That's my yep. next uh, fun we'll, we'll adventure. Follow that on your website. All right, and drfuturshow.com for archives. Thanks for listening, Santa Cruz Voice.